This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got out into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So the Bible is a wondrous mystery, isn't it? It teaches, it inspires, astonishes, challenges, transforms. And when read faithfully, it points us to the truth, the way, and the life that is the living Christ. And yet, the Bible can also be a dangerous thing. It can be manipulated, distorted, selectively interpreted, and misread by those more interested in power than encountering the mystery that is God. And so over the course of history, the Bible has been used, I'm sad to say, for such unchristian purposes as justifying slavery, keeping, keeping women in their place, demonizing those who do not conform to heterosexual norms, squelching political dissent, and other such things. For these reasons, it is incumbent upon all of us to approach our reading of the Bible with great care, humility, learning, and openness of heart and mind. For when we fail to do these things, we can be quickly led astray by false and destructive readings of Scripture that, in fact, distort our faith. As an example of this, this past week when I was researching our gospel text for today, I stumbled across a commentary by an internationally acclaimed televangelist, a pastor who has one of the largest mega churches in America and an international following 
of over 7 million viewers. This pastor, whom I will not name, has written seven New York Times best-selling books on self-improvement and Christian living, and is perhaps the leading advocate of what has come to be called the American prosperity gospel tradition. It turns out that today's gospel reading from Luke chapter 5 is one of this pastor's favorite readings from the Bible, and it is a foundational text for the prosperity gospel movement. And here is what this pastor says about today's reading, which you just heard. Quote, Peter is blessed by Jesus with such a great catch of fish because he obeyed. Because Peter obeys, he receives Jesus' favor. But notice that the favor didn't stop with him. Peter had so many fish that his partners, those that were connected to him, received the overflow. What this means is that when you're connected to someone that's blessed, someone that's favored, as they increase, you will increase too. End of quote. The writer then goes on to explain that he finds warrant in this story from Luke for the core teaching of the American prosperity gospel tradition, which is this, that God grants health and wealth to those with the right kind of faith, and that by hanging out with similarly blessed people, which presumably includes him, we will only multiply our blessings. And the necessary cor corollary to this teaching, of course, is that a lack of well-being, if you don't have riches, this is an indication that you still have some work to do in getting right with God. Now, many people find this brand of Christianity appealing precisely because it seems to promise a tangibly better life if only we work harder at our faith. I mean, who, after all, doesn't want to have an abundance of riches? Now, you can see, of course, how a superficial reading of our lesson today might support the prosperity gospel's worldview. For it is true, as the pastor points out, that before Peter meets Jesus, he had fished all night long and caught nothing. But after meeting Jesus and learning to trust in him, Peter catches more fish than he knows what to do with. Surely this proves, the writer argues, that faith yields material abundance and blessing, and that a lack of faith leads to emptiness and despair. So what's wrong with this interpretation? Well, I want to suggest that there are at least four problems with it, three of which are subtle details in Luke's text, and one of which is a fund fundamental misunderstanding of the longer arc of Luke's gospel. So, the first important detail that the writer overlooks is Jesus' insistence that if Peter and his friends want to enjoy an abundant catch, they must first cast their nets into deeper waters. Put out into the deep water, Jesus says, and let down your nets for a catch. Now, if you know your Bible, you undoubtedly know that the deep is a metaphor for danger, risk, 
and the unknown. Thus, for example, the very first sentence in the Bible is this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. The deep in Genesis' story of origins is the primordial chaos over which God breathed to give life and order to creation. And likewise, later in Genesis, after the fall, it is from the chaotic depths of the great flood that humanity, through Noah and his family, is rescued and given a second chance by God. And so too, in Exodus, it is through the perilously deep waters of the raging Red Sea that Moses led the Hebrew people out of slavery and into freedom. The deep, in short, represents risk, mystery, danger, and the threat of death, even as God promises new life on the other side. So, that Jesus tells Peter and his friends to cast their nets in deeper waters is thus a crucial detail in the story. Jesus is foreshadowing the risks and uncertainties of discipleship that lie ahead of them. Much as Peter and his friends might like to stay near the shore and fish familiar and shallow waters, it is into the uncertain depths of ministry in a broken world that Jesus calls them. Far from promising them a comfortably prosperous life, Jesus is actually saying just the opposite. To follow Jesus into deeper waters is to take risks to invite discomfort, and as they will discover soon enough, even to suffer and die, all for the sake of others. Second, while our prosperity pastor is right that Jesus promises abundance to all who follow him, represented in our story by the great catch of fish, such abundance is not ours to possess, but rather to share with humility and gratitude. In this regard, the writer importantly overlooks the very last sentence of our text, which tells us that after Peter and his friends had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything. Peter and his friends don't keep the abundant catch Jesus gives. Rather, they share it with the crowds. To be a follower of Jesus is not to grab, but to give. It's not to hoard, but to provide. Moreover, as the story unfolds, we discover that the abundance Jesus ultimately promises is not the great catch of fish after all, but the abundance of fishing for people and creating community. In telling Peter and his friends that they will become fishers of people and not just of fish, Jesus is plainly signaling that the abundance he has in mind is not primarily a material one, but a relational one. The gift of the catch is the creation of the church. The invitation to belong to something wonderfully 
and mysteriously bigger than ourselves and to help Jesus build this beloved community and care for it. Finally, one of the things that I find most troubling about the prosperity gospel's vision of the Christian life is the negative implication that those who do not enjoy material abundance or good health or worldly success are somehow lacking in faith or out of right relationship with God. This is nonsense. Indeed, it has things precisely backwards. As we'll hear again and again in Luke as this liturgical year unfolds, Jesus blesses the poor. He shows mercy upon the diseased. He frees the captives and welcomes the outcasts, just as we will also see him challenge the complacently pious, confront the rich and the powerful, and inspire his followers to share what they have, all in service to the building up of the kingdom. The driving impulse of Luke's gospel, you see, is the inversion of worldly hierarchy. The Jesus of Luke's gospel warns the privileged of the insidious tendency of wealth and power to lure us away from the relationships and values that really matter in life. Just as he invites the poor and the outcast to take their place at his table, notwithstanding the world's efforts to push them away because they're somehow not good enough. As the Christian writer Martin Marty once famously said, the Jesus of Luke's gospel consistently afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted, not the other way around. Now, I get the temptation of wanting to believe in wealth and health as a sign of blessedness. We all love our material comforts, myself very much included. We all want to be healthy and happy and prosperous, and we consider ourselves blessed when we have these things. We also want to believe that our achievements matter that hard work matters, that playing by the rules matters, that obedience to God's purposes matters, and that God is cheering us on from the sidelines when we succeed in these ways. And this is right up until a point. The problem is that God's vision for the renewal of the cosmos is just a little bit bigger than you and me and our individual prosperity. And God's hopes for us are just a little more ambitious than our meager conceptions of wealth, health, and self-fulfillment. God indeed loves us for who we are, and I'm sure he's delighted with all that we've done with our lives. But there are bigger fish to catch, more mouths to feed, and deeper waters in which he wants us to cast our nets. If today's gospel lesson teaches anything, it's that God is not done with us, but rather is calling us through his son to venture forth into the world with Christ to share our abundance, to create community, to love neighbors, strangers, and even enemies, and to take risks, all in the name of that love 
so that we venture forth beyond the familiar and shallow shores where we are tempted to stay. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.